Residents lobbied for a court order to halt the march, but the American Civil Liberties Union stepped in, representing the Nazis, and the case went through all the highest courts, until finally reaching the United States Supreme Court, where it was concluded that, yes, the Nazis had a right to march because this is America. And so they did. They marched through Skokie. People protested as the Nazis turned the place into a symbol of never forgetting. Never, ever, ever forgetting. And also the basis of the great I hate Illinois Nazi scene from 1980s Chicago-based comedy, The Blues Brothers. Yet my family's distrust of the suburb started even before the Nazis came to Skokie. There was a small stack of notices that had been collected over the years, like trophies from various country clubs, telling family members that although we may have met many of the right financial, educational, or career requirements to join their clubs, our people weren't welcome to play golf on their greens. That was the representation of all that was wrong with the suburbs. If we weren't allowed to play tennis and drink gin and tonics with the Johnsons and Smiths while wearing our whites before Labor Day because we were Jews, then damn it, the suburbs would never be safe. We'd never be accepted. That was basically the closest thing we had to a family motto. No matter what I did, if I straightened my hair, never publicly admitted to loving smoked fish, changed my last name to Thomas Jones III, and took up playing badminton. As a Jew, according to my grandfather, I was unacceptable by default. You'll never be like everybody else, was something I heard a lot as a kid. Things are supposed to change, people evolve, and by 1983 the suburbs outside of Chicago had become the gold standard. Clean, full of wealth, and baby boomers and their spawn. It was the epitome of normalcy, and living in certain suburbs was a sign of success. My father was successful, and he wanted people to know it. The company he and my grandfather founded, a candy manufacturing business of all things, was flourishing, turning out wafers with chocolate and peanut butter-flavored spread in the middle from a factory on the border of Skokie and Rogers Park. The factory was dark inside with large machines. Some made evil clanking and banging noises while others shot small flames and sparks. I wasn't scared of any of it. I'd run around sticking my fingers in the large stacks of candy that had yet to be cut down and packaged. They were towers of sweetness for me to sample, and nobody stopped me. My parents had two cars, an attached garage to fit both of them, a house with a playroom filled with my toys, and it had all been built with money made from rotting the teeth of children who could only afford to spend a quarter on snacks. I'd climb into the gray Mercedes, the smell of diesel mixing with the leather seats in my dad's Ralph Lauren polo cologne from the green bottle, and we'd take the long way to the preschool that cost a lot of money for me to get into. Some Billy Joel tape would be playing as we drove, and everything felt great and endless. The idea that things could change or go sour was impossible for me to contemplate at that age. Whatever problems families around me may have had seemed to be carried out to the backyard and buried under the neatly manicured lawns with the hope that they wouldn't seep to the surface. But they often did come back like zombies raised from the dead. I'd hear whispers about one of the husbands, a dentist, cheating on his wife with hookers, and how a lady down the street stayed in and drank all day. I didn't know what any of it meant. I'd just sit on the floor playing with my toys and absorbing the words, happy that, as far as I knew, My parents were above it all. There was soft talking between the mothers of the block in the daytime, but when both of my parents were alone together in our house, there was always yelling. It was something I just accepted as normal since it happened so often. 
Voices would go from indoor volume to loud and angry in a few seconds and without warning. I just assumed all families were like this. At the dinner table, they'd slam down silverware. Fuck it, ringing out as one of them stormed out of the room with the other chasing after. My mother would cry, my father would kick something. Glass would break or there'd be a loud thud like something that wouldn't bend was being hit with human skin and bone. When it started, I'd run to my bed and hide under my covers, just hoping it would stop, listening for a door to slam or a car to peel out of the driveway, some signifier that it was over. It all ended the day my father kicked down the door that was the only thing between him and my mother. I walked out from playing with my toys to see him, eyes wide, spit shooting from his mouth. He yelled at me to go to my room. A loud crash, the door bursting open, and my mother's crying. A few days later, my father moved his things out of the house, our house.